Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Some of the last names of individuals have been edited out of this episode in order to protect the privacy of those who are presumed innocent without proof of guilt. At the time of Jim Melgar's murder, there was a man named John who was living in one of the Melgar's rental homes. Official records show that John had a live-in girlfriend named Claudia. Without revealing my sources, I can confirm that Claudia, a young Hispanic female, is connected to the Gonzalez Londoño family, the Vargas Londoño family, the Bernal family, and more. All of the related families in last week's Organized Criminals episode. So this is where we're at in the investigative process so far. We've reconstructed and profiled the crime scene, identified cases in the area with similar MOs, researched those cases to establish any known participants in the crime. That led us to Cineade gonzalez Londoño. Cineade fits the profile. She participated in other crimes with nearly identical MOs, and she fits several elements of the crime scene. The long black hair on the shirt sleeve located just above Jim's deceased body, the indication on Jim's body that his attacker was smaller and weaker than him, the size medium female shirt found in the bathtub, and Sandy's memory of seeing a young Hispanic female staring at her from the bathroom as she was being tied up in her closet. From there, we looked a little closer and discovered that Cineade comes from a family of organized criminals, known primarily for strong-arm robberies, with deadly weapons. The next step was to figure out if there's any link between Cineade and her family and the Melgars. And now we know that there is, through Claudia. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The nature of HR, there are so many moving parts, and it's not just about the processes, but also about the people, because they're like different parts of a jigsaw that you can put together to help the organisation. Sage helps HR champions like Sherry spend less time on admin so they can spend more time bringing the team together. Sage, helping business flow. According to government records, Claudia was living in the Melgar's rental home from February of 2012 until shortly after Jim's murder. She came to the attention of lead investigator Sean Carazal through Sandy's first attorney, Nick Oessie. 
About a month after Jim's murder, Liz Rose began helping her mother pick up the pieces to her shattered life. She began with handling the management of the Melgar's rental properties, a task that had always been handled by Jim. One renter in particular drew Liz's attention. John had been living in one of their properties for over six years, but he hadn't paid rent since November. Jim's records indicated that shortly before he was killed, he had filed an addendum with John stating that if he didn't catch up on his rent, he would be evicted. Liz reached out to John the renter and told him about Jim's murder. His reaction seemed odd to Liz. I've never spoken to this man before. I've seen him a couple of times, but I told him my dad had been murdered and he started like crying out and yelling and screaming like it was really really horrible I just I mean I'm sure I was standing there with the most dumbfounded look on my face but yeah I don't know what was going on with him but I found that really suspicious eventually Liz passed on this information along with some other pertinent details to Sandy's attorney who then passed them on to Detective Corazal in March of 2013, three months after Jim's murder. Corazal sits on the tip for nearly a year and a half before the district attorney orders him to interview John, demonstrating at least one box checked days before indicting Sandy. It had been over a year since Corazal had done anything with the case. So the detective meets up with John in June of 2014 and finally conducts the interview at the DA's insistence. Case number 12176269. The date is 627, 2014. This is Sean Kirzer, Harris County Homicide, 60 Henry 39. Uh, sitting here with me, sir, can you state your first and last name? John. Okay, what's your date of birth? Okay. Uh, where do you currently live at? Humble, Texas. Okay. And do you have a, um, a Phone number? Yeah. Okay. And you used to rent a home from um, uh, Jaime Melgar? Yes. Do you remember the address of that location? I do. Um, it's... Um, I thought I did. I <laughs> did I just woke up. It's, um... John lived in the Melgar's rental home for six years, but he can't seem to recall the address. Mm. What is that dang old address? He never does figure it out, and Carazal just gives up. I don't, I can't. We'll, we'll go over it. I mean, you, yeah. you know who Jaime Melgar is in the house yes, he used sir. to rent for him. Okay. Uh, when did you, do you remember when you moved out of that house? I moved out on November, it was the weekend, November 29th, I believe, the weekend after um, Thanksgiving. After Thanksgiving? Okay. Yes. Of 2000, what year was that? Two years ago. It'll make two years in November. Um, so we're in 14, 2012. 2012, so November 29, 2012. Mm-hmm. Okay. This statement is provably false. 
there are clear records indicating that John was still living in the rental house for nearly two months after Jim's murder. He most certainly did not move out anywhere near Thanksgiving of 2012. John skipped out of the house in the winter of 2013 as Liz was preparing to evict him. What I find really interesting is the fact that while John can't remember the address of the house that he lived in for six years, he recalls with sharp certainty that he moved out a month before Jim's murder, which is false, either a lie or a misremembrance. I just I called him, he answered the phone, and I explained who I was, and I just said, you know, I, I just want to let you know that my dad had, you know, was murdered last month, and, you know, kind of, well, he just said, you know, my dad had let, he knew that he was, uh, he didn't have any money because his ex-wife left him with all the kids and took all of his money. So he, he couldn't pay and he hadn't been able to pay, but my dad said that was okay as long as he was moving out, which is bullshit. Right. Cause your dad had just filed that addendum or whatever saying he was going to evict him if he didn't pay. But also my dad just wouldn't do that. He wouldn't just let somebody live there for free. So John tries to convince Liz that her dad was letting him stay in the family's rental home without paying rent. And according to John, he moved out without incident, although his dates and details seem to be confused. Did you see him when you, when was the last time you saw Jaime? Melgore. I don't remember, but it was, it was, it had to be at least a couple of months before that. Okay. Or better. And was he just your, uh, did you just rent from him? Did you know him or how did you end up at that house there? Um, Ebony, which is my ex-wife, found an ad in a green sheet. And we did the paperwork or whatever and we moved in. What's, what's Ebony's last name? That's your ex-wife? Did she live there with you at the time? Um, we're, we were coming along married, but our divorce was finalized on June 17th. Of uh, what year? This year. Okay. Um, she was not living there. She moved out in May. Did she know any... Did does she know Jaime at all, other than the newspaper? Before that? Uh-huh. No, we met, we, I mean, um, no, not before we, um, in the green sheet. Yeah. Did you know any other, the, uh, any other family members from the milk bar? Um, I met his wife and his daughter, um, when we first moved in. We all had like a little meet and greet that type thing with his wife. And then I met his daughter. Well, I met her, I believe I met her sometime in between that. But she ended up, you know, yeah, that's how we knew them. Okay. And you, you didn't, you, you haven't seen... Who did you really deal with there? Did you deal with the wife, daughter, or? That was the only time I ever met the wife or the daughter. Okay. Other than that, um, Jaime was the one that always came by. And I knew him by Jim. I'm just saying Jaime because he's the one that always came by, fixed things, and, you know, pick up the rent and stuff like that. Okay. Did, uh, 
Did you do any work for him or anything like that? No, sir. Okay. When you left the house, uh, did you leave anything in the house? Here's the thing. We, me and her, was going through a separation. Okay. At the time. And <clears throat> I, I was supposed to get all my stuff, and then she was supposed to come and get all her stuff. And I don't think she got everything she was supposed to get. So we went back and cleaned it up, though. But it wasn't. Um, I didn't leave any. We didn't leave anything in there. Okay. Did you leave anything in the garage? You mean like what? Like uh, like tools, toolboxes, um, refrigerator, or anything like that in the. I don't think so. Um, my mom went, my mom and one of my child's mother, I paid them to go back and clean the house up. Um, the house got vandalized, and I talked to his daughter about this, but when, when we, they called us, and I told them we had already moved out. Um, the house got vandalized after that. Some kids or something went in there and broke like the shower thing in the um, window, but we didn't leave. If we left something in the garage. Well, I mean like a lot of stuff. No, we didn't. Okay. No, we cleaned the place up. Okay. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. John is all over the place here and Corazal doesn't seem to be noticing. He's claiming that he doesn't know Liz, but the detective knows otherwise. He bounces around from he didn't leave anything in the house to his wife did, but he paid people to clean the house and on and on and on. Ultimately, he lands on, quote, we cleaned the place up, end quote. But that's not how Liz remembers it or what the photos taken after he left show. Um, he kind of gave me a few excuses, you know, like his wife leaving him. And he said that he could get me a check for, you know, the next month's rent. And I said, yeah, fine, whatever. And that check bounced. And so I was just like, you know, calling him, asking what was going on. And he just, he kept giving me bullshit. And so finally he sent me a text saying that they had left. And uh, I went to go check out the house a little while later. And it had just been vandalized completely. And when I asked him what happened, he was like, oh, you know, the the cabinet drawers fell off of the cabinets in the kitchen. But that was the only issue that we had there. But yeah, I mean, the walls had been stabbed up and... There was blood in places. It was gross. 
I don't know if Carazal even bothered to check into John's criminal background. I suspect that he didn't, but Sandy's lawyer did. In 1992, John was arrested for theft by receiving, meaning he knowingly received stolen property, and he was charged with evading arrest. Later that year, another theft and another evading arrest charge. In 1993, he was charged as a habitual offender for yet another theft, and two months later, he's arrested again for receiving more stolen property. In 1998, he was arrested for evading arrest in a vehicle, and then from 99 to 2000, he has four different drug charges, including a charge for manufacturing and delivering over 400 grams of a controlled substance. It appears John was cooking and selling meth. Before we get back to the rest of John's interview with Carazal, let's jump back to Claudia for a moment. Claudia is the person who's connected to Siniad and her family. There's no question that she was living in the rental house at the time of Jim's murder. Sandy's attorney ran background checks on both John and Claudia and sent them to Curazal, although he didn't bother to interview her until a month after Sandy had been indicted. Another push from the DA to at least make it appear as though he was conducting an investigation. What you're about to hear is the entirety of Carazal's thorough interview with Claudia. It's about two and a half minutes long. Case number 12176269. It is 8-2-2014. This is Sean Carazal of Harris County Homicide, 60 Henry 42. Currently at the address of the current time of this interview, the beginning time is 10 p.m. With me, uh, can you state your first name and last name for me? Myra. Okay, and who is this to you? Uh, friend. This is your friend? Okay. Uh, it's Claudia. Can yeah. you have her, just, can you state your name? Have her say her name. Diga su nombre. Claudia. Okay, Claudia. And, uh, Maria's. Okay. Right. Uh, the, the reason why I'm here and you're gonna, Maria is gonna speak English and Spanish interpret it for me because we've already talked to your friend. Uh, I want you to ask her, has she ever rented a house? Uh, when's the last time has she, rented, has she rented a house in 2012? This is the only house that she has and she hasn't rented a house. Okay, well, you just just ask her. I know we discussed it earlier. ¿Usted ha rentado otra casa? No. Solo esta. Solo esta. Only sí, this home. She has only okay. this home. Does uh, anybody, the, her neighbors, does she ever see anybody arguing uh, at her house on either side of her house? Usted a sus vecinos ha visto que se pelea como el vecino de acá o el vecino de acá se pelea o problemas? No. No, okay. Uh, do you know Jaime Melgar? Usted conoce Jaime Melgar? No. Do you know Sandra Melgar? Usted conoce no. Sandra? No, okay. How long have you lived at this at this house? ¿Qué? ¿Cuánto tiempo ha vivido en esta casa? 18 years. 18 years, okay. Uh, have you lived any, no, nowhere else? Have you seen any, any other rent house? Have you been at anybody else's rent house? ¿Usted ha vivido en otro lugar? ¿O solo en esta casa? No me has aquí. Just here. Just here? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, pues hace 18 años vivía en los apartamentos. Well, 18 years ago she used to live in apartments, but... But not, not in no, 2012? No, no, uh-uh. Okay. Uh, do you know anything about the murder of, of Jaime Melgar? ¿Usted conoce uh, el homicidio que ha pasado contra esa persona, Jaime Melgar? No. Okay. Do you know any family that might know Jaime Melgar? No, no, no conozco a nadie. Okay. 
Uh, <clears throat> that's going to be it. I mean, I don't have any further questions. You don't know other than we're talking about. Okay. So uh, the time is 10.03 p.m., and that's going to terminate this interview. Corazol is satisfied. Claudia says that she didn't live in the rental house, so case closed. Personally, I'm not impressed. And neither was Liz. About that. We don't know that that's actually Claudia. What Nick Oasey told me was that the cops went to a Claudia's in the area. Really? Yeah. So that lady in that recording may not have even have been her. Oh, we don't think it's her because the Claudia that he pulled the comp report on was like 20-something at the time. And that lady said she'd been living in that address for 18 years. Yeah. So that wasn't even the right person. Well, no, probably not. But we will never know because they just picked a Claudia in the area at random. Corazol interviewed the wrong Claudia. The Claudia that he interviewed, while she shares the same last name as John's Claudia, is about 30 years older than her. Our Claudia was in her 20s at the time of this interview. Had she been living in her current home for 18 years and had an apartment before that, she would have still been in grade school when she spread her wings and left her parents' nest. As pathetic as this is, Carasol was at least able to check off the box and relay to the DA that he interviewed Claudia just as he was told. And the woman that is a cornerstone that links a known home invader to Jim Milgar slipped through the cracks. John's interview with Carasol goes on for about 10 more minutes. Well, actually about 13 more minutes. I edited out all the long pauses, some of which go on for over a minute. In the conclusion of John's interview, you're going to hear just how interested Sean Carazal is in this investigative step, right after a short break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How did you hear about Jaime? His daughter. daughter. His daughter told you? She called me. Yeah, she called me. And what'd she say? Um, she told me that um, somebody had murdered her father. And she called me from his phone. As I'm listening to this and the rest of the interview, I can't help but wonder... How is Carazal not questioning any of this? John says that he moved out of the Melgar's rental home a month before Jim was murdered. John only came to the attention of Carazal because Liz contacted him after the murder while John was still living in the house. And here, John is talking about how Liz called him after the murder, but we hear zero follow-up questions from Carazal asking why Liz would be calling him after Jim's death if he had moved out of the rental house months before. Do you know his phone number? 
I don't know it by heart, but I may have it in my phone. Okay. I can check for you. Okay. Yeah, I got it right here. Do you have on there by any time the last time you talked to him? Any record of that? Nah, no, I'm not gonna have a record oh, of it. Far. Okay. Yes, sir. Did she say that she possibly knew who did it? Anything no. like that? Mm -mm. She told me, um, all she told me was, I don't remember who she said, but she said somebody came home and they found her dad and her mom had been um, beat up, or, but her dad didn't make it. That's what she told me. Okay. Um, so November of 2012, who was living in the house with you? Your wife at the time moved out. Right. It's me. Um, my two sons, my daughter, and I'm going to say her nephew. He was my nephew too, but not by, by blood. No mention of Claudia. How old are your sons? Are they young, old? My sons, 116, 117. My daughter, she's 18. And the nephew is also 17. At that time, were they at that age? Or that's that no, no, now? that's how old they are now. Oh, okay, so minus two of those. Yeah, so your son two. would have been 14, and one would have been 15. 15 and My daughter would have been, been uh, 16. 16, and then their nephew would have been 15. Right. Okay. And your son's names are what? John. Janelle and the daughter. Her name is Jasmine. And your nephew. His name is Kevin. Um, I don't know. Is he stayed with me for many years? I I can't think right now. Um, it's Kevin. What is his dad? I'm gonna say Yeah. In John's defense, he doesn't seem to have the best memory. Okay. Um do you know anybody that would try to hurt? I I Bunny. You ever say anything that I can't to this day, I just can't believe it. I mean, me and him talk when he came over. I mean, all I ever knew about him was he was a um he worked at a school. So to this day, I don't know why anybody would, you know, I don't, he worked at a school and he think, I think he told me he had two rent houses. So I have no idea why anybody would hurt him at all. Okay. Are you still in contact with Ebony? Um, I don't have a number on her, but yeah, she calls me all the time. Okay. If you need a number on her, I can give you a number to get in contact with her. Okay, do you have that with you? I might have to. Yes, I'm gonna give you her boyfriend's phone number. It's, oh, I forgot to tell you. Her mother stayed with us too. Okay, who, Ebony's mother? Yes. Do you know her name by chance? It's Deborah. Can you spell that? <laughs> D, what is it, D? Deborah, we call her Deborah or, you know, yeah, we call her Deborah. I'm gonna give you her number. She can also get in touch with Ebony, but from time to time her phones, 
is off. <clears throat> Shit. Go to heaven and run. You can go ahead. I'll, I'll find it. I can't think of it right off bat. I'm going to look it up. No, it's fine. Carl's all wait for him to find the number, but really it's a complete waste of time. Because, here's a shocker, Carlzall never called any of these people to follow up on this interview. It, we called her Joyce, that's what she answered to. It's Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of trying to get any, you know, insight on what, if anybody, everybody that knew him, that's what I was trying to meet with you today. Um, anything else you can think of? Any, no, sir. You talked to him? Uh, we talked about gardens. I mean, I don't know if you've been to the house or not, but I planted a garden in the back of the yard, and um, he just gave me a lot of pointers on how to do it and, you know, things of that nature, but I can't think of anything. I can, uh, I mean, I can't. Um, I don't know why anybody would, would hurt him. I mean, he was just the most calmest person I've ever met. He was relaxed. I mean. Hey, have you ever been to his house before? No, I've never been to his house. Okay. And the way you you told me earlier, you got you got that that home address out of the green sheet. Well, I didn't. Yeah, we. Well, she did. My um, Ebony, she she'll tell you the story. Or whatever. Okay. But um, yeah, we we was looking for. We were staying in Greensport, and um, the houses we were renting. This you know that was right around the time when the housing market crashed. We was leasing these homes to buy, and the people we found out the people wasn't paying the rent, so. Um, they're getting ready to start foreclosing on the houses, so we needed a place to stay, so we started looking for um, a place, and our kids went to school over there in that um, area, and we didn't like it, so we decided we wanted to move to a good school district, which is Jersey Village. Okay. So that's how we, end, that's how we picked that house. You said you uh, drive trucks? Yes, sir. Were you driving a truck at that time? Is that where you're employed at at the in 2012? Um, it's it's really kind of it's not complicated, but we had six trucks, and me and Ebony when we separated it kind of. But I wasn't driving at the at that time. Well, I started driving around early November. Yeah, I was driving. I let all my drivers go, and I start driving on my own. Okay. And then where does Ebony, does she work at the time? No, she wasn't working. Does she work now? I have. Yes, she does. Do you know where that's at? No, sir. Okay. Uh, do you remember the last rent that you paid at for Miami, at the, for the rent house? Probably two months prior to that. Okay. Prior to November. I think um, basically what happened is one day um, I came home and Ebony was gone and um, she took the money with her. <laughs> I think it was a month before that. 
I was either a month or two months behind. And that's why you moved out? Yeah, I moved with my kid's mom. We actually made plans before that to move in with her. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to um, um, her on the beginning of November and I told her what was going on and I told her we weren't going to be able to afford the house anymore. And her son, which is Jay, well, John, he was staying with us and she said, well, why don't y'all just come stay here until, you know, you get back on your feet, which I had, um, I wasn't broke. I had all the trucks and trailers and stuff, but I had to sell them or whatever. So, um, you know, I would have to sell them to get cash coming in. So, um, I was supposed to stay there a couple of months and then get my own place. And somehow we ended up just staying there. Me and her made amends or whatever. So we've been staying there ever since. Okay. All right. Is there anything else that, uh, you know, I didn't ask you, you might help us out on investigation? Okay. I don't have any. It's uh, 7.03 a.m. It's going to be the end of the I have no way of knowing if John or Claudia had anything to do with Jim's murder. At this point, no one does, unless the DA's office is willing to subpoena DNA samples from them. The most frustrating part of this is the inconsistencies and obvious blinders that Corozal attached to his investigation. Why did he focus on Sandy? Because he didn't believe her story. He assumed that she was lying and claimed that she was inconsistent. She has no criminal record, no history of violence whatsoever, and by all accounts had a very happy and loving relationship with Jim. But still, perceived deception led to Carazal's suspicion. And then you have John, a history of theft. He was having serious financial problems at the time, and Jim was about to evict him. During his interview, unlike Sandy, John actually did change his story multiple times and lied about things that Carlzal knew were false. And at least one of those lies could be perceived as having purpose. John claims that he was moved out of the Melgar's rental prior to Jim's murder. And the detective knows that that's not true. But nonetheless, John is given a pass. And Carlzal never bothers to follow up on anything that he said during this horse and pony show of an interview. I'm not in any way saying that John or Claudia had anything to do with Jim's murder. I'm not saying that about Sinead even for that matter. However, they most definitely warranted a closer look by the lead investigator. Due to Sean Curazal's disinterest in actually solving the case of Jim Melgar's murder, we find ourselves once again left with more questions than answers. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer and Shane Yoder is our sound engineer. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Our Season 6 logo was also created by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. 
find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Rachel Timberman, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Katherine Chrisman, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. And if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com, Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. Keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruftruth. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. Don't forget, we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.